Don't cross the line. Unless you're a ball, then do cross the line, but you still may not be a goal. It's That's So MLS with myself, Nick Thornton. And with me, as always, is Andrew Bates. Andrew, how are you doing this week? I'm doing very good. Uh, they, they Crickets on that is- one. Crickets on that one. They certainly had an issue with crossing the line. Specifically with balls crossing the line. Really uh, <laughs> seem to have a time of it this week. No, that, yes. Uh, how are you doing this week? I'm doing okay. We should, of course, mention this is a North American soccer podcast found wherever fine podcasts are sold, given away for free. <laughs> um, please rate, rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, etc. Um, yeah, I'm doing good. It was a a kind of typical MLS weekend, which felt good that there was just results all over the place. And I'm finding it hard to keep track of like the narratives to follow because some teams did well, some teams did not so well. Some teams you expected to do well did very unwell. And then there were some 7-2 results. So there's a bit of everything this weekend. I feel like the the MLS marketing machine loved the 7-2 game. They loved the hat trick. This was uh, LA Galaxy um, uh, LA Galaxy versus uh, Sporting Kansas City. It, 7-2 is a lot easier to promote around than LA's uh, 2-1 defeat to Colorado the same week. <laughs> yeah, that didn't that, that did not get the same press oddly. Um, I don't, I wonder what you got to see of this in your thoughts. I felt, well, I was kind of watching the, I was watching the 15 minute package and I was just like, man, I don't want to, between goals, Zlatan's second and third goal, I was like, I don't understand how somebody could have the first two goals of a hat trick like this and think that this makes them the best player in the league. The third goal was pretty sweet. Okay. I, I admit the, yeah. the third goal was lit. Then the third goal happened. I'm like, ah, okay. All right. That's impressive. But <laughs> sure. Yeah. I don't know that I want to give more airtime to Zlatan and his wild claims, but, uh, yes, the, the, the proclamation that he is just undoubtedly the best player in MLS ever, which was interesting. I tweeted out, I wonder how he came up with that statistic. Whoa! Oh, <laughs> snap. Um, um, my, my thing watching this game is like, okay, obvi- this is one where the result really does tell the tale. Um, for me, Sporting Kansas City, in order to be playoff contention and this game sort of prove that they're not, is they just have this incredibly passive midfield and, you know, where they've been so effective in the past playing as a unit. There isn't that link between the defense and the forwards. There was much noise made after this game about uh, whether per- Peter Vermees was regretting getting rid of Eiko Parra. But then I was seeing some interesting talk about how it's actually much easier to pay a new player 500000 a year than to pay an older player who's been around for a while less than that. And there, it seems like there's some truth to that in terms of how you're using things like TAM to buy down contracts of certain players coming in. Uh, I, I think that obviously in a game like this, you're going to point to defensive faults, which is fair. But I don't feel like the blame solely rests on the back four for Sporting Kansas City. Is you know It's their midfield, their defensive midfield, that's really caused a lot of problems for them this season um, and just not having the depth there. 
That makes a lot of sense because uh, it, the first thing I, I kind of want to ask you about when you say that when you when you say it's harder to pay, do you mean structurally or like just sort of mentality wise? Clubs don't want to oh, pay older players. Like structurally, it's it's more difficult to pay a player that's been like a long standing player because there's no incentives in terms of like I think buying down certain contracts. Whereas if it was like an international spot and a newer player coming in, you could find ways to get around not, pay, like, getting them under the salary cap. Which sucks, which, which sucks, and I think that, that, that everything, people are people are talking about everything when it comes to the new CBA coming up, and I think that the defenders, we, we've often talked about this with regards to um, Stephen Bettishore, how yeah. teams always underrate him, and then both Vancouver and Toronto got rid of him and then had awful seasons afterwards because they didn't fully appreciate they because because like financially maybe they could have you know they felt they could have got a better deal elsewhere and Ike Opara was the defender of the year two years ago and he's probably going to be the defender of the year this year or he's a he's a Mm. high competitor so if I was a defensive player talking to my union rep I would say, like, can we do something about this? That the best players in their position are essentially um, exchangeable from a financial perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of, you know, the major criticism that you and I have, have and lots of others, of course, against MLS, is that, that even when you have a great attacking team, most of their defense is kind of like, just sort of a cobbled together mishmash or maybe they've got three good defenders but they certainly don't have four and they certainly don't have depth in that area Mm. so all it takes is an injury to a center back and all of a sudden you're in a harsh position that's why i always did respect the fact that carl robinson used to carry five center backs because he kind of needed to um but and I'll be the first person to raise my hand and say I have no idea how the salary structures work in MLS. And despite looking at it pretty closely, but why not have like salary caps mean a little bit more and be a little bit more nuanced so that like you have limits within your backline. Like you're you can pay defenders like I don't know, you get like a fourth DP spot, but it has to be a defender. Or something. <laughs> I want to say I want to say that the major tipping point in this has been Tam, because that was the issue with David Ousted, right? Where, mm-hmm. um, where he was having trouble landing places, but he couldn't because teams couldn't sign him with Tam, and that makes it mm-hmm. a recent issue. And if you if you think about when teams have been having these problems and when players have been moved and when Tam started. Yeah. Uh it's pretty the the timing is is lines up pretty decent. With regards to this game, um one of the things that I tried to do because I knew the store the score line ahead of time is that mm-hmm. even the biggest blowout started at 0-0. So I was thinking like yeah. What was How does this unfold? <laughs> what was the game like? What happened? I have written in my notes, what was the game like before the game became this? And right. The answer is that for most of the first half, um, it's pretty good. And this is your point about the Sporting Kansas City, like, working when they have a defensive midfield. There was lots of L.A. pressure, but Sporting Kansas City 
is breaking it up, but not crucially, I think not always breaking it up at the center back role, but they're in yeah. that zone kind of at the top of the box, stopping midfielder, like intercepting passes, preventing midfielders from having time, um, forcing LA to come around the sides and, and LA can't get a lot together. And they, they push for most of the first half, the most of the first half. My, the disappointing thing is so often I, I do when I try to watch games this way or try to watch highlights this way and, and think like, what's going to make the situation change is that it's a penalty. Um, it's a fair penalty. Yeah. I think, but, uh, I think that, um, the, like I've talked about this before in, in it's, it's my evolving position and I don't think there's any, there's any clamor in the game to take away penalty rebounds. But I'm just unsatisfied every time. And the look on Tim Melia's face when he saves the penalty and yeah. Zlatan has 30 minutes to find the ball and, and bury it yeah. is just really mm-hmm. disappointing. And, and I've said that when it comes to Whitecaps goals, too. I just don't. Yeah. It's like like it's one line I saw somebody say on Twitter during the Women's World Cup, and I think it was Paul Saburin, was uh, – uh, Paul Saburin hurts on is um, just award the goal if you want to – just award the goal, skip the penalty procedure. Like yeah. like as opposed to, well, you get a free shot and you get to have three extra free shots. <laughs> yeah. You get completely yeah, – you get a, right. an extra uncontested minute with the ball in case you don't score the first time. I mean, I – you know I hate penalties. <laughs> I just wish they'd be taken out of the game, to be frank. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> it's basically just awarding a team a goal. Um, yeah. But it, I still think that, uh, I mean, it's a very smart way of going back and analyzing a game. And, and definitely, I think you can point to that penalty as a, a swing in the play there. Um, but, yeah, the key for me here is is teams like LA, uh, you need to break up the the pa- the attacking passes, the forward passes getting strung together. Mm-hmm. At the point where Zlatan's got the ball, it's too late. Yes. So you, you, the point is not allowing him to get the ball in the first place, or you're defending so tightly that you're in your own final third, um, but you're disrupting the flow of those passes. But there's at least four of those goals where... Sporting Kansas City is just stretched so far thin. Yeah. And then you've got defenders rushing back, and it's kind of a counterattack, but it's also just Sporting Kansas City is trying this high press to get themselves out of danger. This, for me, is, again, where your midfield needs to be the connective tissue, and you need guys who can cover a lot of ground so that you take some of the pressure off of your defenders. And I know this because this is something my team has struggled a lot with, and we've struggled to like get the concept across to people that it's actually not the defenders that are giving up the goals. It's the midfielders. And they like, those are the people that you need to come back and help break up play because at a certain point, one V one, there's only so much you can do. Um, But if you've allowed a team to string together five, six, seven passes in the attacking third, it makes everybody's job a lot more difficult. And especially if they're switching play. The, um, I think that the, that definitely makes a lot of sense. And, and especially when you look at the way I just, 
thought that by the time the sixth goal comes around, that they're just gassed. They're just not yeah. reacting and in, in, in not moving. And you're right that it's not just the center backs. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's fine as well. Like at that point, um, I, of course you want to say play with some pride, but truly you know the game is done and dusted, and and it's you've got to preserve some legs and energy for your next game. Um, but it's it's the breakdown that leads to that that I I think is where Peter Vermees has a lot of trouble. They, with his squad right now, the reaction, the just the the in the, I feel like the coming out of the second half, they they still seemed a little bit out of position, and then it's the third goal where it's they just like spooked. Yeah. Um. You the 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 point you made about um once the ball is in the hands of Zlatan, it's too late. Um, is something that I'm noticing and seeing a lot about um, Chris Wondolowski this season. Um, yeah. And he almost gave uh, New York City a real uh, a real scare. He sure did. <laughs> <laughs> in a in a two nothing a two one home win, uh, as Wando scored uh, scored first on 20 minutes, and and this is, I think that's something that you said either the Vancouver game or the week before that always sticks in my head off so often um, when Wondolowski scores is, how did they let him get into that position? Like, yeah. <laughs> I hear that every time I see it. It's like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's just give – let's just let Wondolowski get – be the first person on the corner. That's probably going to be – be the be the first head forward on the corner. That's probably going to be fine. Like, I feel like it's almost like if you're watching the game, there should just be this little, like, uh, like on FIFA, there should be a little thing that just hovers over Wondolowski that just says, most goals ever scored in MLS. So that defenders can see it when they're, uh, doing their marking and being like, does anybody, does anybody have them? Anybody? Anybody? Like, just this, yeah. I mean, also, to be sure, the space he gets himself into, like, he's there for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but just letting him him drift in and like I'm just watching the play now again, and it's like the defender's with him the whole way, and yet <laughs> just so doesn't have him. Like Ugh. he keeps looking back, he's watching the ball, he's watching the ball, and he thinks he's marking Wando, but ah, uh, yeah, you got to do better than that. You may think you're marking Wondolowski. Um. The but in the end, I think the game, despite that scary start for New York City, the rest of the game was kind of easy business. Um, Keaton Park scores on a goal; just uh, all the goals were scored before halftime, and Keaton Park scores on something that I think that um, uh, the is a rebound shot from Makai Stevens, and the defense, the turning speed of the defense on this goal, I thought was really shambolic. In yeah. terms of just like like how quickly they they respond to it, and three minutes later, Matrida scores to make it. Alexander Matrida scores to make it two um, one off of a pretty nice uh, ball from Ismail Turjui Shradi, who basically manufactures a breakaway. Yeah, so I mean the, the connection of those two players for New York City has just been so key this season, um, and I'm I'm glad to see it really paying dividends because. Um, I think Tajiri Shradi is still a really underrated player in MLS, despite the attention he's gotten. Yes. Um, 
but the yeah the connection he's made with Mitrita is just choice and for as much flack as I give that team make no mistake those two especially are just top top caliber it's starting to be the right time to um evaluate the 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 body of work that players have put in over the course of the season um and of course I don't know if um if Alexander Matrita's nine goals um are are enough for you but I think that that he has in a team that has um on occasion put too much weight on a lead striker he has simultaneously like been slotted well into a leading role while not um sort of taking up all the oxygen yeah I agree I mean you're always going to want to see more output from a DP, for sure. I, I don't know what in MLS qualifies as enough for a DP, but I think Matrita fits the profile. I, I would say that in terms of um, having a bit of a higher ceiling and being a player that works really well within the team and doesn't take up their whole salary cap, I think Matrita's <laughs> got to be their best DP signing so far, and considering it's his first season in MLS, I think you'd have to say that it's been a successful one. Well, I think that the the, the he's not the leading scorer in that uh, Ebert, who has 14, which is kind of wild when you think that he joined mid-season. Yeah, truly. Um, he's a, uh, I think that Ebert might be a TAM guy rather than a DP. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that... Um, Ultimately, in his role, nine puts him, I think, like pretty solidly in the top, like thirty. I think I'm trying to, I'm trying to, on the hop, count the number of players on the on the MLS goal scoring, uh, like twenty five, ish, um, for for most goals scored. Um, there are, are certainly other New York players higher than him, but I wouldn't call him. You know, at this point in the season, when you're trying to That's judge, it's not nothing. <laughs> as it, when you're trying to judge it, I would definitely wouldn't call him a bust, and I think that he's he's fit in mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Um, um. A big result this weekend that I'm I'm desperate to know your thoughts about. Uh, and this one of the teams is currently playing is Atlanta Columbus. I'll yeah, a lot of people were surprised by this one, but I can't say I was entirely because Columbus has played spoiler to Atlanta a number of times, and uh, they did it again this week. Columbus, Bye. Columbus pranked uh, Atlanta three one at uh, away at home in in Mercedes Benz Stadium. This team that was so dominant last year that is supposed to at this point in the year have, have regained its form and do essentially um, it has been said mimic the, the, the form of that championship winning team um, got lit up by a team that is itself um, not at or near playoff contention, which is um, yeah, which is wild to think about uh, not, not downplaying Columbus because they're great, but you're, you're absolutely right that Columbus is, um, has given them issues. They beat, they, they had the reverse fixture, uh, this year in, um, in Columbus. They beat Atlanta 2 nothing as well. Um, and 
the the thing I wrote at the end of this game was the 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 end of the package was this is why they're not New York City because <laughs> New York City right now is you know for all of the positives and negatives we said about them in the last two years it's like um they are at this point confidently dispatching teams that they should dispatch yeah and that is what is you know bolstering their table position and making them a more believable title contender is that they are the the games that they're winning even if it's not that way in the score sheet don't seem close um mm-hmm. and Atlanta has the ability at sometimes to take control of a game, but they're just not doing it on the regular. They're often letting teams, um, they're often letting teams try out ahead of them, even in, even in games they win and, and having to come back and, uh, uh, and, and do the comeback to get into a winning position. And this is a game where they score first and then yeah, and in the second half, let it all go. Yeah, and it, it and that's the the strange thing to me, and sort of similar to your earlier comment about uh, like where does it start to change? <laughs> like, let's track this game back. Is that from most of the first half, you have an Atlanta side looking pretty Atlanta, um, but very early into the second half, they just get stretched too far wide, and then get punished. And for me, this just happens time and time and time again for Atlanta this season, where they look good, they've got the shape. Uh, DeBoer's done a really good job of setting Atlanta up to be a more defensively-minded team, which is something I think they needed to do. But it's stringing the two elements of those together, where this first goal from Zardes, where he's able to just collect the second ball and laser it in from close range, it's just players not man-marking. And again, it's midfields failing to get back and put pressure on the ball. There's some great goals scored by Columbus. Mm-hmm. Um, in particular, the the one from uh, Luis Diaz is just, you can see he's got a player wide open who's screaming at him to pass, and he just decides <laughs> to take it on his left foot and basically have a free kick and curls it in. I mean, that that one's hard to do much about. But the, the people... Uh, sorry, go ahead. Um, the people on the, uh, the highlight package criticized Miles Robinson for not closing on him, not trying to come in and, and, and take the ball off his foot. Do you agree with that? Or do you think that, that could have been a, a dangerous foul idea? Uh, no, I mean, I heard that to me. I, I think he, the defender steps up and, and closes him down. I think Miles is unlucky and gets an own goal towards the end of the match. Um, and young defenders always get called out for that kind of thing. I think he could have been closer in on the player, but I think Diaz could have also just sidestepped him. So, yeah, the, you know, it's sort of like, it's easy to say, Oh, we should have done this or we should have done that. But for me, Diaz is going to hit that goal. Um, and there's not too much you can do about it. His, the, the own goal is, is, is a nightmare for him because it's just one of the ones that just, not just to say hit him because we've, we've seen that a fair bit in the last couple of weeks, put it like it literally pops off his shin. Like it's a striker, like it's a striker shot. And, and it's, you can absolutely tell that that's not what he was intending. And, and yeah. he's just mortified. The thing, the, the, the good point, it's like the good bad point that I want to make about Atlanta's defense here with the, the, the Zardes goal is that. Mm-hmm. So Zardes 
that when Sardes first has the ball, um, three people are on him immediately. There's a lot of pressure on him that are not allowing him to to do anything with it. So he has to basically like panic roll it out wide. And then all of those people vanish to cover the ball carrier, the 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 person his artist has, has passed to, and leave him completely open. So so this is where like like I guess it's a teachable moment kind of because like it's it's like the I don't know if they're if they're doing this swarm thing. The swarm is impressive, but it's yeah. just the moment that they lost the concentration or or lost their focus on him. There was no like like nobody picked him up basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the uh, Cincinnati got an away win in Montreal, which they was a little sure wild. Did. It was a little wild, and I've just been quietly in the background watching Cincinnati Atlanta, uh, <laughs> and I just sat through six minutes of just Cincinnati tearing Atlanta apart in the midfield, and then uh, guess who just scored? Uh oh! But his name starts Martinez. with a J. Yeah, Joseph Martinez got a goal, so it's one nothing in the sixty-second minute. But Cincinnati's still looking good. Um, I've got a, exciting... I've got a surprise for you. Oh, I'm like I'm looking on the website, uh, and I can tell you there's something else exciting in your future. Oh, is is in my feed might be a little late. Is that what you're yes. trying to tell me? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's about to happen. None of this. It is. <laughs> None of this matters. Like this? None of this matters. Hey, this is great audio for people who already know what the result of the game is. Truly, this <laughs> podcast listening experience is listening to people experience something almost live after the fact. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, Cincinnati uh, had a like a like a great game and uh, against a, a Montreal side that is continuing to have issues. Um, basically, oh, yeah. basically they uh, they score off of a defensive error. 30 seconds into the game and Montreal is not able to put anything together with any, uh, they, they get a couple chances, but it did not really appear to be a game where they, they were, were overwhelming. No. And I mean, truly this is a result where Cincinnati just kind of hung on, but it was a really sloppy start from Montreal and, um, yeah, I, I tweeted out this week that like the two most disappointing teams for me this season um, in their respective conferences has been Montreal in the East and Dallas in the West. But sticking with Montreal for a moment, I mean, this gamble that they took a few weeks ago in getting rid of their coach, uh, it just seems to be like, you know, OK, it's early days, but it's just kind of maybe the wrong call uh, because it seems like they've kind of just called time on their their season um there's still potential there a little bit but they they certainly don't even look like they're living up to the full potential of what they have right now i just the gambit was the gambit didn't work and uh you hear that joey saputo entered the team's locker room after this game um 
Well, the the thing I wanted to say stats wise, but about Montreal's performance here, seventeen shots, one shot on target, with sixty percent possession. Yeah. Um, it was just it was just rough, and I guess like like despite the fact uh, RDS you know mentions that on the day of the president's hiring, Saputo says he has quote no desire to put his nose in the club's operations, but then he goes games into the new clo- the new coach's tenure comes into the locker room to um to to sort of talk to the team after the loss and uh this calls to mention the we are all transitory quote that happened on Cabrera's hiring mm-hmm. um in in just the the unstable nature of the way that they have that the the front office staff have have managed the coaching uh, I loved, um, I loved how Cabrera tried to play it cool though, because Pete, the press asked him about how he felt about the owner coming in, and his answer, according to RDS, I know you watched the TV series Narcos. Cabrera said, "I was part of a team called America Tecali at the time. I knew this environment well. Believe me, it was more difficult. It was difficile. It was scary. What is happening on Saturday is nothing scary for me. It's normal." Completely normal. Uh, and, okay, in this quote, I had seen a tweet that had suggested that Pablo Escobar entered the locker room. Oh. <laughs> As a part of that story, so maybe he said that to somebody else. But Cabrera trying to be like, listen, if you want scary, the, the owner coming into the locker room does not scare me. If you want scary, think about drug cartels. That's scary. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Which is yes. Which is, I guess, a good public face to have if you're in an environment where there's been like what, like nine coaches in seven years or whatever it's been. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've the the experiment didn't work. They've got great material here, and and perhaps the um with with more time and a, and a camp Cabrera can can continue to mold them and, and maybe with one more addition, they can, they can get it going. But um, they appear to have chopped the team down, like at just the time that they needed to be getting better results. Yeah. And especially defensively, they just haven't been sharp enough and not sharp enough off the bounce. I mean, this is truly a game that's won in the first seven minutes. Um, and then they just can't find their way back into it. And Cincinnati, credit to them to finding a way to just manage that game and, and see it out. It's not like Montreal didn't have any chances um, and certainly tried, but you know, they really have been shooting themselves in the feet this season. Although they are leading Toronto one, nothing uh, so far in the first leg of the Canadian championship final. It's, it's true. And so it, if they win that one, um, that could be just the kickstart they need. Um but there's still, to me, a lot of individual performances, again, defensively, that just, it's not playoff quality. Um, we had uh, Philadelphia LAFC, which was a very interesting one in terms of a, a cross-conference, um, a, a, a cross-conference Little... clash between two teams that I would say are some of the most, um, the most exciting teams yeah. in their respective conferences. And it's rare that we get a, a matchup like this. Like, this is very clearly kind of the game to watch this week. And it's rare that happens in MLS and it actually lives up to expectations. And I know 
American audiences hate a draw, but I think that this is a, a very a very fair result and just makes me even more anxious to see these two play each other in the playoffs. This is great build. This is tremendous build. Yeah, and, and truly because we see a little bit of everything from both teams that you certainly don't expect. You, you expect Philadelphia to put up a fight. You don't expect them to score like three minutes into this match. Yeah, you have a ball in um, the uh, you have a looping uh, ball in from Fafa Fico uh, that Casper Shabilko gets on the end uh, to of the looping cross to hit the header in basically the and third just minute. like pops it up over the goalkeeper like it's a really kind of looks like almost nothing play, which is why I think you can be a little bit easier on the defenders for maybe not making more of it, but. Truly, there's nobody on Shibilko, and he just kind of does, dupes it up in the air and pops it in. Any, any, it, it, it seems to me like any movement is a dupe when it comes to yeah. when it comes to Philadelphia. Truly, uh, they 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 had a decent um they had a decent little spell. I felt at the beginning of the first half, they then started to um some surrender some pretty heavy hitting chances to LFC. Um, mm-hmm. in, eventually. Uh, it is a uh, Mark Anthony Ch- K chip that goes off the crossbar, and it really felt like uh, Carlos Villa had a lot of time to bundle it in. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw, I heard booze at the end, but that maybe that was a reaction to something. Um, but I thought that going up against a team that's been as um, as dominant as LA that. Uh, that a draw is pretty lucky at this point in time. Yeah, and but it's it's still it was a good fight from Philadelphia. I liked the the way that they approached this game. Um, we know LAFC doesn't really like to play from behind, but if you can get that first goal, then it really does make things pretty interesting. Um, I don't think it was the best performance from either side, mm-hmm. so. It will be interesting, but I'm glad that it was an LAFC at you know full strength. It was a Philadelphia at full strength, so we got to see what it could look like. And we had a, a the the expected goals here was 1.38 for Philadelphia, 1.94 for LAFC. Mm-hmm. So pretty uh, pretty similar with I think the. Uh, Around the same number of heavy hitting chances, but LA just having like a, a a lot more medium to low size chances. Yeah, <laughs> fair way of putting it. <laughs> I, I'm just looking at the sizes of the dot on the chart. I don't know what the <laughs> I don't know what the I don't know what the measurement for uh, for that is. There's no that that's not necessarily a. Uh, uh, that's not a unit of measurement, a uh, medium-sized dot. Um, teams that are a, a game that may be b- based on table position, you wouldn't expect to be the most interesting, was um, Orlando City, New England Revolution. But this one turned into an interesting one. Yeah, another game with a bit of everything and a true MLS outing, starting with an own goal. Um this one, I think before the match, Orlando, someone from Orlando was calling this a six-pointer, and um, I think that's a fair assessment of what Orlando needed out of it in that they needed a win. And yet, New England really got the better of them, 
and at one point was up 3-1. Three, uh, three and then Orlando got themselves back into it. And as good as it was to see, or as good as it was to see Orlando fight back and get something out of it, it's still really not enough. Um, and it kind of felt, for me at least, a little bit like not enough from either side. New England in a slightly better position in that they still stay above the playoff line. But for Orlando to keep their hopes alive, they really desperately needed a win. In both conferences, um, as as we talked about last week, the table in the East is starting to calcify a little bit. But in both in both conferences, you're really not talking about a situation where you are four points behind a single team. So as long as you can string two wins together, you can still kind of like believe in your ability to do it. Because mm -hmm. there are so many teams in terms of Orlando, there are four points between Orlando and New England. Um, but there are two team. There are two whole other teams between them: Chicago and Montreal, and another team above them in terms of New York Red Bulls. Mm -hmm. uh, that are like that are essentially like parts of that moving equation as well. It's true. That being said, it's the the teams below them. I mean, I'd be much more afraid of Chicago Fire than Montreal Impact at this point. Yep. Um. I, I think New England, it was, for me, really disappointing to see them give up so many goals in this game. Yeah. I, I thought that they've done so well, like Bruce Arena's done so well to steady the ship, and that's one of the things that he's worked on is, um, you know, better finishing, but also getting people a little bit more defensively minded. Now, against the Nani machine, you know, it's, it's hard to say, but I, I think that this is still... Gift, it's kind of throwing away two points for New England. And it's interesting because, of course, we talk about wanting to make it into the playoffs. And I still think that's very possible for New England. And I still see them getting knocked out pretty easily. So it's that like mad dash to make it into the playoffs. But what the plan is afterwards, I still don't see a New England that really looks like defensively they can put up much of a fight against the six teams above them in the East. Um, with respect to, um, the, the, the biggest takeaway I had kind of here was, was, was that I feel like I'm excited for Orlando next year. Yeah. Like, because I don't think that a performance like this from Nani is something that we had seen through, through some of the earlier parts of the season. And, and we may be waiting on that sort of like one year cushion from him. Um, and I think the issue with New England it's almost like Orlando are only starting now to like um, get to the potential that you always felt could have been there. Mm -hmm. Whereas New England were a team that didn't really look like they had a lot of potential. <laughs> like they had the pieces there, but we, I felt we kind of quit on them. And I, I think I kind of quit on them as, as like the last two years, I was like, oh, they got a lot of potential. Mm -hmm. They can do it. They can, they can, they can realize their potential. And this year I was like, ah. Uh, I'm I'm done with them and their potential. Um the or like 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 it doesn't look like they can put anything together and they change a the coach. Um this every week we're seeing them put together really competent performances that are that are exciting to watch and and can occasionally I don't know for sure that they can't knock off people in the in, in the in the top six in the East. Because I think they've been able to give some of them 
some scares. Um, but I don't really think that we're looking at the best version of them yet. Right. Yeah. No, and and that's totally fair as well. Like, I'm, I don't want to give the impression, like, I think New England can do it. Mm-hmm. it it's just, will they? <laughs> I, that I'm less sure about. Um, aside that... Let's just, let's you... just talk about Christian Benia's goal. Uh, oh, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. He... he chips up a half volley while running and then catches row. Beautiful. Just beautiful. Those yeah. both, both of the new England goals were almost so nice looking that they were flukes. That was just all I wanted to say. I wanted to shout out the goals because, and Nani's goal is gorgeous. Nani's second goal is gorgeous too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the tying goal from him is, is you're like, okay. Yeah. You need to just acknowledge that this is a different type of player. Truly one of the best. Absolutely. Um, in a result that really didn't matter to one of the teams, <laughs> <laughs> our dearly beloved Vancouver somehow won a game, a game of football, against a pretty good team. At I home. Mean, team that, at home, a team that struggled, but Vancouver was able to do it get it done against Houston. I was not there for this game. Uh, I was elsewhere's disposed, but um, a, a pretty okay result, and it, it seems like a, a big one for the club in terms of having something positive to look forward to. This was a game where a lot went right for Vancouver, and you almost feel like you saw some of the tendencies that would have led to losses in other games. Um mm-hmm sort of coming to light and um, like it, the it senses uh, in a very real sense, Zach McMath saves Vancouver from, uh, from themselves when he makes an own goal save. Like he makes a full stretch jump save yeah. off of a, 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 an attempt to deflect that, that turns into an own, that almost turned into an own goal. And then the, uh, they are the beneficiaries of, Something that I'm surprised actually we don't see more often, and, and I feel uh, I feel terribly for the Houston defender who is in the wall, and essentially the ball hits him right in the gut, and he and his arms come forward like as he yeah. gets as he gets hit. Full it's such a bizarre bar. It's such a bizarre move, but that's one where you have to be like, at, that's not just a handball. That's like a both arm ball like he's fully cradling it in his arms and i think still accidentally but it's right in the bread basket right right in the old bread basket yeah i feel for him because he obviously was it it appears as though he was in pain but you can't uh but but you can't say anything other than that it was warranted um to give the pk I noticed that, uh, isn't Reyna the usual White Caps penalty taker? I noticed that Imbom took this one. Yeah, and I think Reyna started as well, so I'm not sure how they decided that. Um, or maybe Reyna didn't start. No, I'm pretty sure he did. He did so, great. But, but it was a great PK from Inbom. Um, the, in, in, in again, this thought of, of the White Caps, uh, saving themselves from themselves. Um, you know, uh, Zach McMath lets this, this is a long shot that, that McMath saves while, uh, on the ground and it's let out and 
Maromanotis is able to close what feels like 20 yards in a second. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And smash into the goal. But it's also like a man, it felt like a Whitecaps manufactured goal. So it's, you had a, you had another scenario where it looked like they were left, they, they had given up, um, it looked like they had given up the three points. But on 90 minutes, uh, Theo Bear holds up the ball, um, and sends, or Adnan has fancy footwork to, to put on Theo Bear. Bear holds it up, gets it to Montero, who has a great first touch and, buries it on uh, the 90 minute mark and i feel mm-hmm. like i feel like this is how this was the pitch for the white caps attack you know like i feel like this is how they storyboarded it storyboarded it in a sense in the in the beginning of the season early parts of the season yeah <laughs> it's funny you say that i was like patiently waiting to say my piece here and that's essentially what i was going to say is i was like i feel like this is the white caps that we were promised at where it wasn't, it wasn't pretty, but it worked. Um, and now it's finally starting to work. And it's just happening way too late. And maybe that's okay. For me, it doesn't change much of the color from our commentary for this season. Because, again, the near own goal, there's just too, too many mistakes at the back. Too many players not being switched on and and it's just still a little bit too frantic and i mean we'll do a show about it i'm sure in the in the off season but i'm really starting to have some question marks about daniel henry and i hate saying that out loud because i think he's been a, a, such a great story for the white caps such a great uh player and he's really improved his levels but at a certain point the liability starts to like outweigh the contributions and to, to nearly cause an own goal, you know, for not the first time this year, for not the first time this year, it's just not a great look. Now it happens to the best defenders. So I want to add that with a grain of salt, but for me, I just want to see some more sure mindedness from Henry in his game. And, and this just, it's still not really at the level where it needs to be. And I like him. And I, I hope he stays. But I want the performances to improve. And overall, defensively from the Whitecaps, it's it's still just not all there. And, you know, the Minotas goal was a perfect example of it. And teams are going to hit you like that. Like, you know, you could argue Kripo would have that ball. I think it's a difficult one to deal with. But defenders need to be alive as well and help their goalkeeper out. Um, and just be a little bit more reactive. Uh, it's a good win. It's Whitecaps fans need something to cheer about. So I'm, from that point of view, I think Houston will be very disappointed that they got nothing out of this one. I feel, I feel as though the one thing that I have hope with with Henry is that right now, both for club and country, Henry exhibits the ability to make tremendous game-saving plays and then also like do total boneheaded shit that, <laughs> that just like sets that that puts things at risk however i think that when you when you separate them out like that as you said the contributions versus drawbacks the contributions the <laughs> the amount of drawbacks has have remained about the same if slightly declined from the beginning of his first of last season here. Whereas 
the contributions have steadily increased, and now you have a player where where it's where you where you are making that almost near fifty fifty or, or making that that judgment. Um, and Kendall Lawson was the same way the year before he became captain. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I feel that the 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 note that I have of hope is that we have seen improvement from Henry, mm-hmm. and we may yet and like I hope that now we can maybe see some refinement on that end to to lessen the liability. Um, yeah. Because because certainly if you were the the way that people rated him when he first arrived at the team, and the way that people rated him um, when he came back from, uh, I think he was on loan with the Fury when he came back from there, and I think even he's been better this year than he was at the end of last season. So he definitely has improved. The good. He parts. has. Yeah, and. I mean, yeah, maybe my assessment is a little bit harsh, but I guess for me, I'm like, he's a smart player. He's he's a big athletic guy, but he's obviously got a good soccer brain as well. I just want him to use it a little bit more and these sort of desperate moves that he doesn't have to take um, that end up causing sometimes more grief <laughs> than anything else. I just want to see a little bit more composure from him because... Truly, if he adds that to his game, I think all of a sudden you've got one of the best center backs in MLS. Um, you know, physically, he certainly can stand toe to toe with any striker in MLS. I've no doubts or fears about that. It's just the the decision making about and about when to make those lunging tackles and when to be diving in from preventing a, a you know a, a shot on goal mm-hmm. needs to be a little bit cleared up. Um, however, we need to get to this game about, uh, what's a goal and what's not a goal. (laughs) (laughs) So let's go to DC and Portland because this was a weird one. And on the face of it, I don't think anybody can be too surprised by, uh, you know, it's a rare Eastern versus Western conference showdown between teams in kind of similar positions. DC's had a slightly better year than Portland, um, and DC dispatches Portland 1-0, which on the face of it, you think, all right, sure. However, that goal was also an own goal <laughs> that came off to to long. <laughs> and there's been much, much talk this week about this ball that uh, looks like Portland had scored a goal, but somehow... Or, or sorry, um, this was a DC second, wasn't it? DC second, yeah. Uh, but somehow, somehow, this is not called as a, a second goal. This is kind of why I don't judge the fact that it was an own goal. Um, in a sense, I kind of look at this as, as in the same way that I negatively judged Atlanta for not getting their results against Columbus. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to really look at like who's getting results when it is a team like who's getting results and in, in in what way are they getting the results? It's true a one nothing a one nothing win um, with an own goal is not necessarily uh, convincing. However, it is an away win. It is in Portland, uh, and they could have had two. Yeah, I think the big thing here is like okay, although it didn't affect the final result. This has to be a goal. 
Also, Portland just... had 67.5% possession. Oh, I didn't know that part. Yes. Woof. That's no good. 23 shots, seven, 20, 23 to 7 shots, although only 4-4 four, four on target. Uh, 4 four for each that are on target. Um, yeah, the, the, so what exactly happens here? It looks like Mark Truck tries to, to clear this shot off the line. Yeah, and, uh, so it's, um, Eric Williamson, who's in the right space, but every replay that we've seen, and then the second angle was finally released, that ball is, I mean, I love Taylor Twelman. This is one of the games where I'm, like, really happy that Taylor Twelman is what he's calling it. <laughs> where he's just like, oh! <laughs> like, the ball is completely across the line. Yeah. Uh, no two ways about the, it. There's a second angle where it looks like it could be touching. And, you know, and the VAR says it's not clear and obvious. This for me is just like I don't know how much more clear and obvious you can have it. Of course, I want to err on the side of defenders, just but this one is like, look, there is a an arg. There's the argument where it's like it's ninety nine point nine 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 percent over the line. But you're like, yeah, but there's a little bit of the ball still hanging over there. <laughs> Fine, but this is where it's like there is. It's the other way. Like you could, you could still foot, like easily slide a hand through the space between the goal line and the ball. And just because it's a great last minute clear, quote unquote, off the line, that's a goal. Should have been two nothing, but uh, the soccer gods were kind and DC got the win. Not too much else to say about it. Um, Portland continues to, to just be a big old question mark. Ben Olsen, when asked about it, says that, uh, told Palomar, essentially it's well, essentially he said it's well past time for MLS to implement goal line technology. Also said he didn't think any angle was conclusive, but quote, we have the technology to make it conclusive. Now, we the, have the technology! The interesting thing is that this, uh, this, the, the highlight package showed an angle that they referred to as like some dumb sponsored. Um, some dumb sponsored camera, and I'm like, was this the only camera? Does VAR not have the same? Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's not a good look. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about referees in MLS in the last few weeks, and I think a lot of it has been, and about VAR, and I think a lot of it has been kind of unfair, but this is one where you're just like, oh, come on, guys, just get this one right. Just get this one right. Um, in terms of how this changes things, it doesn't really. Portland still is hanging on to that seventh and final playoff spot. Dallas didn't do themselves any favors this week, so remains below it. And, I mean, the teams below Portland right now, Dallas, Sporting Kansas City, Colorado, and Houston, I have to say <laughs> Portland's definitely the better of those, of that group. Um, but they're in a similar position uh, to New England, where it's just like giving up so many goals is is really hurting them. Um, they can't rely on the offense. They weren't able to rely on their offense here to to save them from this. No, and I I still see all as good as Portland has been. 
there's still such a head scratcher to me. It's such an improved squad, and yet, uh, and Savarese is a great coach, and for me, and like Portland should be like third, and somehow they're sitting at seventh, and you have to imagine a playoff picture where they can get pretty easily picked off by other teams if they're not able to put together a solid team performance. Not uh, not Dallas, who got uh, blown out uh, for nothing by Chicago. Um, Whoops! Want to shout out the uh, the wonderful opening goal by CJ Sapong, who somehow uh, plays a give and go with himself um, as the defense <laughs> classic CJ Sapong. <laughs> he's like behind me, the goalkeeper. The, sorry, the defenders in front of him, and he passes like a diagonal ball into the middle and can run fully around the defender to collect it himself. That was also some just shambolic defending. I'm not sure what Dallas was thinking in this game. Um, And they've really seemed to struggle against Eastern opponents, but just all bad from Dallas. And they win my dubious award of biggest disappointment this season. I don't want to say I'm a Dallas fan because Lord knows uh, we've got the Whitecaps in Dallas have some history, but I've been a fan of the way they've set up their team for a long time and the way Mm. that they've played. And Dallas should be much higher in the table and doing much better than they are. Um, And and this is just catastrophically bad from them. Um, And and for me, me, this is uh, like nail in the coffin of their season of of like, I I don't think there's any coming back from this one. I don't think they're going to make it to the playoffs if they somehow get in again, easily dispatched. And it's going to be yet another disappointing year for them. Uh, Minnesota uh, beat up Real Salt Lake 3-1. Two goals from Darwin Quintero, um, including one where he just approaches the goal and beats both the defender and the goalkeeper himself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was good to see him finally back in form. And uh, from RSL, I mean, it's such a good goal from Ruznak uh, to kick things off, but couldn't really find the final product here and then it was a a really good win for minnesota and as much as they've bent uh they have not broken and this is a really really crucial win for them to sort of solidify them as like oh they're a good team now i've got a i've got a soft spot uh for clint Irwin, who is the former Toronto, the former Toronto FC goalkeeper who was in uh, in the net for the first um, MLS Cup uh, that they lost, and in has had like a, a real journeyman career, and he returns here with Colorado, and he <laughs> did not deserve to be down two goals after ten minutes in the midst of a of a a three two Toronto win over Colorado at BMO Field, um, both in terms of uh TFC skipping past the defense and and Endo hitting the bottom of the crossbar are a fluke and then uh a um a penalty kick after Abubakar just hauls down Altador yeah in the penalty area which in also 10 minutes is really bizarrely not a red card but that's a great point <laughs> i guess it's not i guess it's just like a shirt pull but i mean it's not like an agree it's not a dangerous move but it's so egregious i'm like i feel like that should be a sending off but i mean i guess you don't want to kill a game in the first 10 minutes mm-hmm. um boy does colorado make their own lives difficult sometimes 
and they almost uh, they they do come they do come back to tie, uh, in, but despite you know letting those two goals go and conceding a penalty, which Quentin Whistler has to save, um, mm-hmm. uh, Toronto are able to uh, make it happen through a winning goal from Jonathan Osorio. Yeah, my other shout out here in this game is Keegan Rosenberry, the old Philadelphia man. Um, another MLS journeyman, good to see him producing in, um, Colorado. Another team that's a contender that I kind of am starting to get a little, like, I think is, is really not in form and, and is not going to beat a lot of people if they can't find a way to make it work is the New York Red Bulls who lost 4-2 to Seattle. Um, and I feel I, I sense a bit of frustration in your voice, and I feel like this is, they've been your, like, frustration this season, where, like, they could be so good, yes. and it doesn't make sense how they just are not even as good as the sum of their parts. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, it's like, maybe it, maybe the fact that, maybe maybe it's that, right, Phillips isn't working so well, maybe it's that, that relying on the chaos game um, has an endpoint. Or, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, if you rely on, on base probability, uh, it'll, it'll come back to bite you eventually. Um, but, uh, and, and maybe it's just that they have a, the, the league has figured them out to a certain degree and, and cut off some of the, the pathways that they've used, including, you know, the pass in from the, mm. the, the pass in from out wide and, and stuff like that. Maybe the, Maybe there's been a certain amount of breaking them up, but they uh, they score two here, but they're not able to. Um, it doesn't really feel like they had a stamp on the game. No, I I agree. That's a a very fair assessment. I mean, Jordan Morris got a very fortuitous goal to kick things off here. I I think it's a handball, but um, <laughs> they Seattle scores in the second minute, um, and New York is able to fight back from being 2 nothing down, um, but then just goes completely pear-shaped towards the end of the game. And again, defensively, I just can't figure out how do you have such good defenders and be so bad at defending? <laughs> Yeah, people were talking about Aaron Long as like the best young player in the league last year. I know, I know, and like, and with Tim Parker as well. Like, it's just it's not been clicking for them. Um, another team as well that in their midfield, like with Daniel Royer, um, with Kaku, like I just I don't get what's not working for them um, because they've got good players in all positions, and yet. And I don't even feel like Seattle played that well in this game and was able to find a way to to do it, to do the thing. Um, you had a, a, another recurrence in this game of the um, of the iron front issue as a, a, a capo got kicked out um, allegedly for, I believe, for iron front issues. Um, I can't remember. If, I don't know if it was... Uh, of course, it's not in the game recap on MLSsoccer.com. No. Um, but essentially, my understanding is that a player got kicked out and um, in the supporter section walked with – or a, a capo uh, got kicked out in the supporter section walked with him. Yeah. Um, which I think is great. I think that's exactly how – that's what should happen. 
Um, and it just is frustrating that they continue trying to fight the fans like this. Uh, the um, John Carver gave an interview to J.J. Adams of Vancouver Province. Mm-hmm. Um, where essentially he tries to say, um, essentially he tries to say that the issue now, last time we heard from him, he said that the issue is new. Now he's saying that, uh, he's still saying that it's new, but he's saying specifically the issue is, is implementing the policy for the same in every market, because what's controversial from market to market is different. Um, boot liquor is the term I think we're <laughs> looking for here. And I feel uh. like, I, I feel like what he said before and what he said, like, um, what he said before, what he said before and what he says in terms of like the interpretation of what is political varies by each district. Every time I see a new comment from him, it really backs up my feeling that they just bundle, they bungled the neo-Nazis at New York City FC so bad. They just didn't have any idea how to deal with it. And the resolution that they tried to reach messed them up, like, even harder. Yeah. They tried, they tried to come up based on, based on that scenario. They tried to come up with a one size fits all situation. Which didn't even suit the situation that it was meant to deal with. That's my no. that's my analysis and, and what I look at when I see all these quotes and when I think of it in the context of, of, of what's happened. Absolute utter incompetence, top to bottom. And then he says, right? He says, um, we've uh, that that the league has had. Because the league has has ran programs like Don't Cross the Line and stuff like that, that essentially you can't question the MLS's commitment to anti-racism because it does these sorts. Oh, of it's so it's so bad. He's just like digging the hole. He's just like Don, stop talking. Somebody cut the feed. Oh lordy! But we've got a campaign. Look, we've been signal virtuing this whole time. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to credibly. Rather. I don't want to credibly talk about virtue signaling. I think it's. I think it's a bullshit concept. But um, the 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 thing is that you have to do stuff, and we've. I think that some of my critiques of some of their campaigns that they've been doing, especially around the pride stuff, is that it is frustratingly vague about what about what it is acting against because it's trying to be all things to all people mm-hmm. to, to, to handle all kinds of discrimination at once. Yeah. You know, um, from soccer for all that don't cross the line. It's incredible to me that any fan or anyone would question that. Here's the thing. It's great to speak out like that. It is not when you're doing it against nothing. Like yeah. really speaking out to me is in instances where people are being harassed and are being um, abused, you stand behind them and you support them with everything that you have. Yeah. That's, I think that's to, to vaguely say we more or less support diversity. We are in support of anti-racism. We are in support of anti-fascist. And he says here that not even, I don't know to his credit. He says that 
we we stand strongly, have since the beginning of this league for inclusion, for anti-racism, for anti-fascism against any form of hate. And but you just have to you have to do things. And and in his position is that these campaigns count as having done stuff. Yeah, yeah. The 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 cognitive disconnect is baffling to say the least. Which is going to make me uh, feel even like dirty. I wonder when his balls are going to cross the line. Um, the, that is just a, a, a continuing, I'm sorry that it keeps coming up every week. I know it's the same, I know, no, but it, keeps, that's the it thing. keeps being the same problem every week. We would love to not talk about it, but it just keeps happening and it just keeps getting worse. It and, would be so nice if we could just be like, hey, look, um, the supporters groups that have been doing all this work this whole time, uh, yeah, they won and... Like we've just decided, no Nazis at games. Cool, cool, great. The um, in NWSL, uh, I said last week that the the Portland North Carolina semifinal that was happening as we were recording was probably going to be an interesting one. Uh, it definitely was because it was. This was the the game that North Carolina went into Portland and beat them on their own patch. The previous one in the schedule in Portland. Uh, Portland won by what you correctly identified as two pretty shady looking goals. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but they got that win here. North Carolina came in, blew them out six, nothing. And then Portland who have been victimized by, well, not victimized, but, uh, they have been a, uh, hostage to a schedule clerk quirk where every other team is basically played is going to play two times between that six, nothing blowout and the time that, they play next. So they went from first to third, and they very well could be out of the playoffs by the time they play next. <laughs> oh, it's a wild and beautiful sport, isn't it? <laughs> um, anyway, folks will probably have figured this out already uh, by the time they listen to this, but uh, surprise, surprise, Atlanta beat Cincinnati, and Montreal held on and beat Toronto. So that's and up an interesting finish. We are also out of time. Um, <laughs> where can we find you online? You can find me online on Twitter at Team Bates, www.team-bates.com. Um, you can find this podcast at thatsomeless.com and on Apple Podcasts and wherever you get podcasts. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Please do those things. It would be ever so helpful. And you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter. I mean, by us, it's basically me. Uh, <laughs> so you can... Any absurd comments you can trace back to me at that's so MLS. Um, and until next week, uh, don't get yourself sent off. <laughs> <laughs>